From KOSU, this is Songwriters and Tour Writers. I'm Matthew Variapa. On this episode is Texas musician Charlie Crockett. But tell me, mama, what am I to do? There's the snow getting next to you. I ain't looking for a big gold mine. I just want to make you mine. Last fall, Charlie Crockett released an album called The Valley, which takes its name from the Rio Grande Valley of his birth. He's been across America multiple times, whether it be by car, freight train, or foot. And he has often made stops in Oklahoma, performing in places like Canes and Mercury Lounge. And I've been really lucky to talk to him twice now. So for this episode of No Cover, you'll be listening to my conversations with Charlie Crockett. Some of it you might have heard before, but I made sure to include a lot of stuff that just wouldn't have fit in the past. I hope you guys have a pen and paper handy too because Charlie is just a walking encyclopedia of knowledge. Besides his own life and his own music, you'll be hearing him mention all kinds of people, from Hank Williams and John Coltrane to Loretta Lynn and Woody Guthrie. First off is our conversation just a few days after he made his Opry debut in Nashville. I think you're playing Canes on Saturday. Saturday, what's the day? Thursday? Yeah, so today in Memphis, tomorrow, Friday, Little Rock, and then Saturday uh, with y'all in Tulsa. Sounds like you haven't been, like, you've been going pretty hard. Like, you don't even know what day it is. Yeah, that's not, a, that's not the most important thing anymore, my man. <laughs> I just need to know about, I just think about the show, so. Did you ever imagine yourself playing on a stage like the Grand Old Opry? Opry specifically, man, no, Matthew, I never thought I'd play it. I didn't, it wasn't a, um, didn't seem attainable, you know what I'm saying? What was it like finally, like, standing on that stage just a few days ago? Well, it all goes by really fast, and uh, I play a lot of shows, so a big part of me in, in those situations just kind of instincts take over, and uh, I end up not thinking about a lot while I'm playing, to be honest with you. That's, um, that's what it takes for me. You know, the way that I've developed my career, you know, doing the itinerant performing thing for, you know, the majority of my adult life, they're used to stuff. You know, you have to hit this mode to be able to transform. You know, you have to have this mode. I found that mode a long time ago. And so, like, when I was at the Opry the other night, I was just in that mode. And uh, I was getting interviewed and being asked a lot of stuff. And the Opry folks are amazing people was trying to be really reflective for them. I can certainly reflect on my career, you know, anytime anybody asks me, especially if they seem like they actually care. But uh, already just having, it been two days ago now when I started thinking about it. Now I'm looking, thinking about it like, oh man, Hank Williams stood on that same hardwood floor. And, you know, that now, now I'm thinking about it today. And that's what's going to happen, you know. It's going to affect me more now as, it, as these as the next few days than it was affecting me at the time that I was there. So when you're in that mode, you kind of just treat all audiences equally? I just turn on the medicine show. Like That's the part of me that people do get every night. That's Charlie Crockett. The room, the energy of the people in the room that we're playing for, that's, that, that's the wild card factor that affects each night, what makes every performance different, is the energy of the crowd, you know, the type of room. Like when we was in Kentucky that night, we was playing in this like, oh, I don't know, like a really old cathedral but it had been converted into a club. And then it was like a really high stage. Like those, a lot of those really old school dance hall stages, you know, would be real tall. And it's like a beautiful acoustic room because you got that big kind of dome steeple 
roof just sounded so good in there. Like those places were designed to sound good without any kind of amplification. Really, I don't know, man. It just created a vibe all its own. So it's like it's a very different feeling to play like in that old cathedral church in Kentucky versus then like being in front of whatever the that was a three thousand or whatever the Opry holds. You know, uh, that's a whole that's a very different deal, and that's what that's what can make me seem like a slightly different artist night to night is the type of room. So you're on the road right now. You've been traveling around America for most of your life, it seems like. What do you like about being on the road? I like that I'm always moving. You know, when I was hitchhiking, you know, just hoboing around, I didn't have any money, but that gave me a lot of freedom. I think I was just born that way, and that's probably how I got into this more than anything else. I can just a blessing man you know and I've been through a lot of stuff in my life I get a lot of happiness from moving from town to town and then the, prob- the problems that I'm facing don't seem so bad when the low made me it made a rambling man some folk might say So as like a, a Texan, when is it that you feel like you left Texas and kind of entered Oklahoma since Oklahoma is just right on the northern border? Well, I think Texans in their hearts, you know, feel like Oklahoma is still the same. It's still the home country. My mama lived in Oklahoma when she was a kid with, with my grandmother for a time. She was born in Colorado. But they were living in rural Oklahoma. The way I became a Texan was that my mama ended up moving down to Texas from Oklahoma, actually. And she was like a teen, becoming a young adult. And uh, a lot of my friends and all the, you know, the bands I've toured with, you know, have been from Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's feel, a lot of Oklahomans feel that same way as that they got just as much kinfolk in Texas as they do in Oklahoma and vice versa. Oklahoma is Native American, man. It's got the, it's got an energy, you know. It's it's got a it's got a thing. And honestly, man, it's just like the people in Oklahoma are coming out to see us before anybody. In terms of just like once we started playing there, you know, people were people were giving us giving us their attention, you know, immediately, even if it was a small crowd. And like we that stood out playing at like Mercury Lounge or the Blue Door, you know, opening up opening up shows at Canes. To be honest with you, leading up to before I played the Opry, I was actually probably thinking a little bit more about Canes. My my grandfather has told me that he don't tell these stories anymore. He's in his mid-90s now. But up until just a couple years ago, every time i go see him, he always would tell me the story about if this would have been the 30s. He was born in 25. He was born in Salem Spring, Arkansas, man, right over the border from Oklahoma. And he has always told me this story about 
them getting in the car, piling in this car off the farm. They was all they were all off the farm out there in rural Arkansas, and they would drive in to Tulsa to watch Bob Wills. They came. Down below the Rio Grande, a senorita held my hand and sweetly sang an old melody. Bob Wills was like getting paid $500, and that was like unheard of. Because of him telling me that story, because that being so much of my lineage, you know, the picture that's painted in my mind about Cain's is just, uh, well, you can imagine, you know, it's larger than life. So I'm real excited to get on that stage. I got to play there, Cain's. You know, through the grace of Turnpike Troubadours, you know, a couple of times now. And so I have, like, I have some perspective to make me, you know, nervous about getting on that stage. And so it means a great deal to me, man. So uh, we're going to lay it all out. I'm going to lay it all out, man. We'll give it every little thing I have to offer on that particular Saturday night. So is there a favorite spot of yours or any place you like to visit while you're in Oklahoma? Oh, man. I love the Arbuckle Mountains. You know, I love the that north. Eastern Oklahoma, kind of Ozark. I love Tahlequah, Tahlequah area. Yeah, we really like Tahlequah. Uh, And I like the cities, man. I really love Tulsa. Tulsa has like a real special thing going on. Yeah, and you've uh, you've played with like um, J.D. McPherson. JD's a friend. Yeah, I think about that a lot. It's like, really, JD gave me my, got me my start in Europe because he has such an amazing crowd there and he let me open up for him in like a dozen countries over there. I got my foot in the door through a boy from Broken uh, Broken Arrow. And then uh, Evan Felker and the Turnpike Chubadors, you know, I played over 100 shows with them in every town in America. That's probably, that's not a coincidence, you know, that I get that that it be these Oklahoma cats that really actually took me out around the world. You know, it's like, that doesn't make it feel like home. You know, I don't know what does. I've always said, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever see no border there between these, between Texas and Oklahoma. I just see a really uh, red river. <laughs> and I like that river. You know, soil, same color on either side of that line. You know, and you got that whole, I mean, look at Woody Guthrie. He's an Okie, you know, or Merle's an Okie and all that kind of stuff. But like, a lot of that family's from right there Texas, it, run, it runs the same, you know. You start talking about like red dirt and all that, you know. You got to include those two, those two states. Yeah, there's a lot of shared history going on. Well, I guess speaking of history, like uh, the last kind of longer project that you put out was Blues Bonanza, kind of paying tribute to a lot of um, the blues and country artists that you really grew up listening to, right? Yeah, man. You know, it's funny. I, you know, if you ask me, like, like if I told you something I didn't like about country today. My complaint would be that a lot of what's up going on is that, you know, the blues had been taken right out of country music in a lot of ways, you know, and so that's why I made that album. Because I have some people, you know, these real, a lot of cats get these kind of, you know, fictionados and stuff, listening to the old honky tonk and that classic blues stuff. Some of them hardcore blues guys are like, oh, no, this isn't a blues album. There's country songs on there. You know, and I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, there are some country songs, but you're going to tell me those blues numbers on there, hey, that's not good classic blues? You know, and I'm like, just because there's 
you know, country on there though, doesn't make it doesn't make that blues any less blues. Also, I believe that the way that I do country music, I'm doing it as a blues singer. And I that I'm nowhere near the first guy to do that. That's what Hank Williams was doing. Blues singer. Uh certainly where he got it from. Say the same thing about Bob Wills, man. I'm mean, cats is playing blues numbers. I mean, half that catalog you can hear you know, a lot of that stuff is blues cats. I mean you start looking at it that way, there ain't even that big a difference between Robert Johnson and, and uh, Bob Wills. But they do a lot of the same songs, like Milk uh, Cow Blues. Come in, Tommy. Well, I woke up this morning. Yes, yes. And I looked outdoors. Outside, you mean? I could tell my milk cow, I could tell by the way she looked. Tell me more. If you see my milk cow, ooh, drive her on home. Matter boy, you getting low on milk? When you're talking about music from back in that day, both descriptions would be accurate. If you see it as country, well, that's true. If you see it as blues, it's true. But it doesn't change the music. Charlie Parker, you know Charlie Parker, the famous jazz musician. What he said in his own words was that everybody thought that he'd like rewritten the book on music, but he himself said that all he did, really, was he learned how to play the blues in all 12 keys. said he just learned how to play the blues in every key because he noticed that even like really great touring and session caps that he's been around were really great but pretty much only proficient in as much you know get in three or four keys he just made sure he knew the blues upside down you know i'm I, i'm i'm a naive fool compared to somebody like him but i do know how to play my kind of blues and country music in 12 keys and i can play all those shapes and i can pretty much move between them without thinking about it and uh that's something that's taken me all my life to figure out, and I got a long way to go. But some of them covers that I've done, like Jamestown Ferry, that's how I got to Memphis. Good time, Charlie's got the blues. Everybody's gone away. Said they're moving to LA. There's not a soul I know around. Everybody's that's all considered country music, but I would argue that none of that, none of that is straight country like honky tonk. You know, I realize that all the numbers and listen to my ear, learning how to play the chords of the songs. I sit there and play a Loretta Lynn record front to back or a Lightning Hopkins record front to back, and learning all those songs. I, it's just I've never found one that wasn't basically blues. Here's what I've learned actually: is that country music 
is really about the hearts of Americans. That's a deep, that's a deep uh, reservoir to look into. But that's what it is, and that's how you can have cats so different. Like Johnny Cash is so different than like Marty Robbins, Bill Anderson, you know, even Ernest Tubb. You know, was very different. I got a white hot passion, brother, because uh, I have a deep love for the traditional sound roots of this music, and I just get immense joy out of playing it. Everybody's gone away. They're gone, it's time to stay There's not a soul I know around Everybody's leaving town Some call a fate, some call a flame Find the sunshine, leave the rain they said this town's a waste of time I guess they're right, it's wasting mine Some got to win, some gotta lose The town Charlie's got the blues Good time Charlie's got the blues About one year ago, in December 2018, Charlie made the decision to record his album just before he had to undergo heart surgery. So that's where we start our second conversation, which was recorded around the holidays last year. Yeah, they cracked me open, man. It's crazy. Sometimes I walk kind of across the town, listen through songs, plus I need to get, keep my heart good. I got this kind of jagged scar on my and then you see it in the mirror and you see it, you change your shirt. Well, how do you feel now when you play this album? For all his faults, I hear somebody being real honest. You play too long, you'll lose your life. I walk the streets to ease the pain. I'm going to check out before my 35th birthday, and that's all the time I got. Well, I'm going to hand one more in, you know? <laughs> you know, and I thought about it, too, you know? I thought about it, so, man, if it's curtains for Charlie Crockett, at 34, yeah, I'd like to keep going, but I feel pretty good about what I did in 34 years. Just trying to tell my story a little bit more. Some got to win, some gotta lose. Good time, Charlie's got the blues. I can get stricken by this deep, lonesome grief over it that I that I never really knew in my life. Good time, Charlie's got the blues. At the same time, I can also also feel so like I have so much gratitude, also much joy. It's like I'm a, it's like I'm a newborn man, you know. Do you care much for holidays and Christmas? We usually play a lot. That's usually a big time for us to play. All the holidays, you know, I always end up playing. I think what it is, people get together for the holidays, you know, families get together, everybody's traveling and all this kind of stuff. And then and going out and seeing shows, people want to get out of the house, you know, because everybody's together with family and stuff. I think people like getting out of the house and going and like cutting loose, you know, seeing, you know, 
different way, different forms of entertainment. You know, people love going to the movies and the holidays. You know, are there any like Christmas or holiday songs that you guys like to perform? Man, you know, I never do any. I probably should, but I never do. Is there any you like to listen to? I love Chuck Berry's Christmas holiday. Like his holiday stuff is really cool. Uh, I love John Coltrane's version of my favorite things. Da, 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 da. Man, that's such a good song. Wherever it comes on, I get so sentimental. Yeah, I really like those uh, old jazz guys because they would rework all those um, Broadway tunes into something that was like completely different, but like you could still recognize. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Yeah, they could re they reimagine them really nicely, you know, because that's like a testament to, you know, the quality of the songwriting in those Broadway day on those old Broadway days, you know. You kind of see that even with Hank Williams. Really listen to Hank, you can hear a lot of that Broadway the show tunes. You can hear that show tunes in his and his uh, writing, you know, and his singing. And I think if I think about it, it's like if you call Hank Williams a hillbilly Shakespeare, what you're really saying is like. He was, Hank Williams is this like Alabama hillbilly that figured out how to, you know, sing those those great kind of enduring style popular tunes, man. Comb your hair and paint and powder. You act proud and I'll act prouder. You sing loud and I'll sing louder. Tonight we're setting the woods on fire. Could you just describe, like, I guess, the valley, the album, and also the valley where you're from? Yeah down in the valley this last weekend um and i was talking to an old boy down there and the thing is is, you know i lived in the valley when i was a kid you know i moved up to dallas with my mama when i was like getting into school you know and then i did like middle school and high school you know in that in dallas and then i kind of immediately after that i picked up and you know, turned into a, a rambling man. Watch their quotes, hear these thoughts, see my struggle, he hear that. I really became a transient person, you know, it just kind of went that direction. Five more miles for me to go, a two train running, deep this time, the sun comes up, I'm going down. They're saying I'm free, I just don't know, five more miles. Got this river, running through my veins. And out in August, it's so do glow. 
Five more miles for me to go. I know this life so is hard. All I can do is play my cards. Keep saying I'm free, but I just don't know. Five more miles for me to go. Five more miles for me to go. lot of interesting episodes and chapters of my life, but I basically became a kind of traveling hobo musician for a long time. And the more and more that I've traveled in my life, I mean, now that, I mean, that's really all I've done as an adult is travel for me. And I, now I cover more ground even than I did in those days when I was hitchhiking and, you know, just bumming around as I've done that. You know, you're always like looking for this idea of, you know, the place that's your home or like your origin. Like, where are you? Where do you originate? What, what's the origins of, of you? You know, and uh, that place is is the valley in my mind. It's a it's a place that I can see very clearly. I'm from San Benito, Texas. I remember the farms around where we lived outside of the small town called Los Fresnos, and we had this caliche driveway. It's like a gravel driveway. There was sugar cane and cotton. How I used to watch it grow. Just kept heading out towards the Gulf, right there from my house, in any direction. Even where we lived, it was like the Rosaka on one side, sugar cane on the other side of the road. I remember I was young. I learned about the dollar. Everything else was basically grapefruit, you know, and oranges. And all and dirt roads lined with palm trees, you know, separating all the people's farms and stuff. If you ask me where I'm going, I can't tell you because I don't know. But in my mind, I see the valley. You should see the way it glows. That area has very has changed very little. To my surprise, you know, I always expect to come back down there, you know, and find the Los Fresnos and Bayview and these places have changed. My daddy didn't know me. My brother rolled the dice. My mama kept on working. And my sister paid a I carry that place in my mind, and that's a place that I'm like, this is where you came from, this is how you started. These things, these mesquite trees and these grapefruit and these warm people and the warm weather and all that, like, that makes up who I am at the core of it. Everything I've got, I If you ask me where I'm Everybody in the world has to relate to the world in some way by like where you first remember being from, you know. But in my mind I see the valley. You should see the way it glows. And now you know my story. 
bet you got one like it too. May your curse become a blessing. There ain't nothing else to do. Isolated enough, far enough down in South Texas that, yeah, it hasn't changed. Do you appreciate that? Like, whenever you go back, it's kind of like stepping back into your childhood? Yeah, I do. I do. I really do appreciate that. It's a comforting feeling because of that rural, that rural-paced lifestyle that's kind of based around, you know, agriculture. It's just like... I, you know, slower is a good is a good feeling. The truth of my daily life is different. It's nice to have a place in my mind that is settling or you know is uh, comforting. Yes, sir. That area of the valley that I'm talking about, which is like east of 77, going out to South Padre Island, it's such an isolated place. You know, it's like it's like it's like people living in the like isolated parts of the Ozarks, you know, or I was saying like the Appalachians, the Appalachians or the Delta or something, you know, the Delta is a good example, has a similar thing, but it's a different culture. You know, it's a majority Latino place and that carries a lot of rich cultural tradition with it. And maybe one of the biggest places that that tradition is up front is in the music that the people carry in them. And that's like something that was instilled in me from just being born down there was the more traditional music that I would hear, you know, in the Tejano music. And like a lot of Mexican folk music, um, conjuntos, and, you know, that stuff's all country music too. I, I literally see the valley and the Rio Grande and the orchards and all that stuff. Like, I see that. I'm leaving Santa Rosa for them Tucson nights. Think I'll get up to cross and sit and see them big by blinking lights. Adios, old Nevada, far west to the Golden State. I got my suits together and I'm almost to LA. If the way I'm living, Seem like just a mess. Leave me, I would choose this life over the rest. On the album, that first track off of it, uh, you worked with uh, uh, Evan Falker of the Turnpike Troubadours on uh, Borrowed Time. Uh, what was that like? Sure did, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, he's another guy like that, you know, I think got a lot in common with Evan. Well, she was born in the morning, late October, San Antonio, now she's ever girl I've ever known. Besides being born on the same day, the same year, you're born just a couple hours apart. So that's kind of an unusual thing, and they took us out on the road. You know, really, only band I really ever opened up for, for the most part, you know, to kind of get a leg up with Turnpike Troubadours. Played more shows with those guys than 
probably anybody, you know, ever. Probably. I played about, I know I probably played 130 shows with him or something in a couple of years. He's such a good songwriter, and he draws so heavily from southeast Oklahoma, where he's from, you know. And uh, I got a good sense of melody, and I can come up with good progressions and stuff. Uh, but, but Evan's a really, really, truly great, like, songwriter. Tell the truth, shame the devil. He gon' fool you if he can. I'm telling you, it's gonna be double. Better leave this gambling man. You've died and died, mama, I've lied and lied. It don't matter what you do, I just can't be satisfied. Already coming. I thought you know by now. Can't you see it's show to be trouble? You know what I'm talking about. You've died and died, Mama. I've died and lied. It don't matter what you do, I just can't be satisfied. I want to be free, despite only fine. Loving you on I wanted to talk about uh, one song that you did that I found was kind of unique on the album. You know, you've you've often done like covers of like country and folk standards. Like on this album, you uh, did Nine Pound Hammer, which is you know, uh-uh. been played over and over for decades and your entire entire like little GL Booze Bonanza album. So I'm wondering uh-huh. why you decided to record uh Seven Come Eleven by uh Vincent Neil Emerson. Yeah, I think the I think the lyrics in the song, the story that he, he's telling, you know, says it all. I've said this many times, like Vincent Neil Emerson to me is one of the best songwriters that we have in America, especially for country music. Well, I rolled into town and I put my money down on a game that was made to lose. I was everything I had I can carry on my back. I don't want nothing I can't use. both were playing at bars in Fort Worth. I think it was the first song I heard him do that really grabbed my attention. And for the first time I heard it, I really felt like he was he was singing me back, you know, my own life story. We learned in an alley in Fort Worth in this shack he used to call a house. It wasn't no house. Uh, we learned it back there. I've been doing it ever since, and I thought it was one of the best songs that's been kind of written in this whole kind of movement. I been, had been trying to record it for maybe a couple of albums and I finally did it. I rolled in town and I laid my money down on a game that was made to lose. Everything I had, I carry on my back. I don't want nothing I can't use. Seven come eleven, I will speak. 
like these covers of like the the folk or country standards it's by guys who aren't really your contemporaries or have long passed or you don't even know who the songwriter is what was it like getting taught this song by you know a guy who's like you know near the same age as you who actually wrote it uh, man that's how i had learned songs by living on the highway by living on the street by like sleeping and sleeping in pastures and barns warehouses hitching riding freight Playing in subway cars. I've done that all over this country, man. I've walked across this country many times over. I I learned everything, man. I would learn I would learn songs off of other people, just like you're saying. I had no idea who do, who did them. Sometimes I think the song was 150 years old, and I find out that it was a damn Tom Waits song. Cold was the night. And- They found her in a small grove of trees. You know, or vice versa, you know, I would think that this kid, you know, in the French Quarter or something, it was playing this crazy song I never heard. It was something they wrote, and then I find out it was some traditional, you know, that it had no credited author. This nine-pound hammer stuck to heaven for my thighs. Oh my size Take this hammer Short to the captain Tell him I'm gone Tell him I'm gone He should ask you Where I went to Tell him you don't know 
Tell him you don't know John Henry, it laid him low, it laid him low, this time found Emma, killed my brother, but it won't kill me, no it won't kill me. That's what my sound is, you know, I, I think I have probably more in common with somebody like Jimmy Rogers, you know, than I would like, you know, some of these country artist today or something roll on buddy don't you roll too slow how can I roll when the wheels won't go roll on brother but take your time oh I'm broke down and I can't make mine This nine-pound hammer Step to heaven Oh, my size Oh, my size Just cast such a wide net like that, you know, when you're standing out you stand it out in the street, man. You learn all kinds of songs. Uh, the album is called uh, The Valley, but, you know, it also has, like, in small blue text, other autobiographical songs. And uh, in a country and folk especially, though, there's, like, a difference in kind of telling the truth and, like, singing the truth. So I'm kind of wondering what was the balance you found between songwriting and, like, drawing from your actual life. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it just depends, like people write from different places. Like uh, some people are really good at looking at somebody else's life and turning it into a, turn it into a story, you know, from lots of other from other people's positions. That's a deep folk tradition is being able to tell other people's stories. And then I feel like the other way of doing it is a lot more about singing deeply personal stuff. Like sometimes I can peer into other people's stories and bring them out. More often than not, you know, my stuff's really autobiographical. I feel like, oh, you know, Loretta Lynn, like a really good example of a really, like a very autobiographical country musician or singer, you know? Well, you thought I'd be waiting up when you came home last night. You'd been out with all the boys and you ended up half tired. But liquor and love, they just don't mix, leave the ball feel like everything you've ever heard Loretta sing is something she lived, you know? In comparison, like uh, Woody Guthrie and how he took a lot of the stories of other people who had to go through the Dust Bowl and kind of applied them to his songs and uh, told yeah. those stories. They weren't necessarily exactly. like his, but... No, but they tie together. I mean, man, that's music right there. That's why people are drawn to songs. It immediately belongs to the people that are identifying with it. I'm a Dust Bowl refugee, just a Dust Bowl refugee from that Dust Bowl 
to the peach bowl. Now that peach fuzz is killing me. He's just so good at picking up the stories, you know, pick, picking up what was going on. And that's because he's traveling so much. When you're traveling like that, like we do, man, I mean, you, you really see every type of person going through so many different things, you know, out here on the road. It's like, if you don't, if you don't see people and the stuff that the way they're living their lives, I mean, it's like, you got to be pretty damn asleep doing what I do to not see people in their, in their lives and their stories. You got to be pretty, you have to be pretty damn blind. And I mean, I don't see that good, but I ain't that blind. Is that what a good uh, songwriting is to you? Just trying to tell stories that everyone can like, uh, recognize? Man, Matt, I don't know. You should, you should probably ask a good songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the music. Like before you called, I mean, I was sitting there, spent my entire morning just working on this, working on these songs. When I'm working those songs, it's like I would like I like to think of it like, man, everything I've ever learned is all in that is all in the gumbo inside me. You know, I can present I can present all those sounds that I've absorbed in my life. I can I can present them, you know, through my through my eyes. Oh, what was the song that you were like? Uh working on before I called you song called uh called when will my troubles end and it goes when will my troubles end feels like I got nothing to defend wouldn't mind if I die oh when will my troubles end <laughs> That's what's cool about music and like when people, any kind of artist, or filmmaker, painter, or anything. Whatever you make is directly telling, showing people who you are. Even if you're trying to pretend to be somebody else, that says who, that says who you are even more. Just because time is going on and the years are going by, it doesn't necessarily mean that like the songwriting is getting better. You know, you'd have hard time convincing me that you know that we're that we're writing better songs today than these guys Woody Guthrie and WC Handy and these guys like you have a hard time telling me that people are writing deeper more thoughtful songs today than they were back then that's why I spend so much time with with the with the, with the old time music you know or the classic music whether it's you know honky tonk music or blues standards, or Cajun music, or conjunto. I just like that stuff, man. And it's like, I can get deeper feeling from that music when I listen to it. And like, if I want to change up the rhythm on a traditional and turn it and, and make it and make it a, a newer sounding song, man, I can do that in two seconds. He just called the Jamestown Ferry. It's not a hot day in January. Like he said it be. But the feeling and the story that the person's telling about life, that hasn't changed. I like to think about that, you know, it's not like it's not like human beings have added new feelings, you know, since the ancient times. What I'm saying is like jealousy and heartbreak and love and pain and suffering and happiness and all this kind of thing. There's no extra feelings that we have in society now that they didn't have, you know, in ancient times. You know, in society, it's easy today to be like, oh, man, I just want things that are brand new. Usually the freshest thing is something 
coming from way back in the past that somebody made hip again. Almost every time. She just caught the Jamestown ferry. It's not a hot day, January, like she said it'd be if she ever left me. A case of gone was all she carried as she got on the Jamestown ferry, and she said that gone was all she'd ever be. I didn't think that she'd leave me after saying how much she need me, but the fact still remains. I'm sitting there all alone, missing the loving of my baby. Lord, it's about to drive me crazy. She was the sweetest piece of ever. She just caught the Jamestown ferry. It's not a hot day, January, like she said it'd be if she ever left me. A case of gone was all she carried as she got on the Jamestown ferry, and she said that gone was all she. As I walk through that valley of honky tonks and bars, I remember how she told me to comfort me with thought. She didn't cuss with every breath. She had a soothing southern drawl. She just caught the Jamestown ferry. It's not a hot day, January, like she said it'd be if she ever left me. There's been kind of like a proposal or a movement going on to have the requirement for a, a street music license to be removed. So if you want to go out and play there. You could just go out and do it without having to pay for a license. If that gets through, do you have any advice for those who want to try their hand in uh, playing out in uh, public? Well, I mean, I always did it, and I always did it, and it was usually illegal the whole time. <laughs> hey, I think that's a good thing. I'm just what I'm trying to say is is that it's actually not the fact that it's illegal that keeps people from doing it because people don't even know it's illegal, man. People have no idea. Ninety-nine percent of Americans aren't thinking about whether or not this type of thing is legal. And the people who end up playing in the street aren't thinking about it either. Playing on street corners, playing in subway cars and stuff, like the reason that people are afraid to do it doesn't have anything to do with the law. It has to do with being afraid to show yourself in a public place. That's why you don't see people doing it because that's not easy. You know, like people 
are already scared enough to get on a stage at a place where like it's set up. That's why they pay people who become good at it to come see them at shows. So I think that's great that they're making it legal, but the things that push people out to play on the street come from a deep, I think deep desire to be heard, having that deep desire to be heard and not having a fear about what people think about it is, is, is what people would need to do. I played in subway cars for years, man. That's, I mean, that's completely illegal. It's like five tickets they can give you, bro. And like in new Orleans, you didn't need a permit for the longest time, but like, there's all kinds of things they can get you for. Like if you're too loud, if you're amplified, but it really just comes down to like, are you somebody that's trying to go somewhere to the point where you're willing to put yourself out there on a street corner, you know, and, and deal with like everything that comes with that. It takes kind of certain kind of brave heart, you know, it just does. Is that something you realized about yourself like early on? Well, I realized that like people would always be like, man, you're so lucky to live that life. It ain't nothing, you know, there's nothing lucky about, there's nothing lucky about making a decision to be homeless and not know like where you're going to sleep, you know, or how you're going to like pay to eat. That doesn't have anything to do with luck, man. That's a, that's a choice, you know? And so I would always see that a lot in people, you know, people would tell me that throughout the time being like, you're lucky, you know? And I'd be like, I ain't lucky. I'm, I'm sacrificing, you know, I'm skipping meals. <laughs> I've heard people say, they'll be like, man, man, people would kill to be in your position, Charlie. And I'd be like, yeah, but they wouldn't kill to be in the position I was in that got me here. <laughs> the romantic story to read about Woody Guthrie and Leadbelly, the whole other thing to like live the lifestyle that those guys did in order to bring that music to us. That's incredible, you know, it's incredible. There's a couple of videos of you out on the internet with uh, you and a group of other musicians called the, you know, the train robbers playing in the New York subway. You know, while people were playing in clubs and getting their bands together and all this kind of stuff, I was just playing out there on the street, you know, and people thought I was really crazy. She came in like the tide. That beautiful hair that was black like the night. She entered upon my mind. Said every man an island, so I'm taking you from mine. You're so strange, but baby, baby, this awkward game that we've been playing. Said you're so strange, and high above, she got me hungry for that love. It wasn't lost on me that most of the other people on the street with me were like, you know, people hooked on people that had all kinds of things, you know, that had different addictions and lots of homeless people begging, you know, asking for money and lots of disabled people. You know, you see a lot of really real struggle, you know, whether you're on a isolated highway in the desert or in a urban area, a lot of times young, younger musicians would be asking me advice or something you know, about what they can do, you know, to to get ahead in music or whatever. And I think, you know, they're usually hoping I have like a magic phone number or something, you know, for them to call. And uh, I really don't, man. I don't have any, that's not actually, the, that's not what I have, you know, to, 
to offer them. I just thought about it in a different way. You know, I was just like, man, if you could give everything else up, you know, and live for this, every people will tell you that you're crazy. Of course they will. Of course they will. Because if it was an easy thing to do, if all you had to do is change a law, then people would like rush out to the streets and do it. Like I said, you wouldn't be paying, you probably wouldn't be paying money to go watch people perform. In fact, that's not how it works. It is those people that you look at and you're like, man, this fool's crazy. That, that can't lead anywhere, you know? I mean, I got told that a thousand times. You know, you can't go that way. You can't do that. What? You're going to play on the street? Oh, man, Charlie, you're throwing your life away. You know? No, nah, man, you can't do that. You know, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, you know? You know, people looked at me like that basically the whole way. They look at they look at you like that until, until you're in a magazine in a magazine or on television or something. And, uh, there's a joke, actually, that in New Orleans, I spent a lot of time playing there. And I remember there were these guys in this, like, traditional jazz band. A guy they called Chad Moe, and he was a clarinet player, and he had a whole band. Somehow they got on, like, a like an NFL, like, commercial because of their band was playing somewhere in New Orleans, and, like, the camera crew came and found these guys. And they were and they were like on TV during the Super Bowl for like a few seconds, you know. And Chad Mo was joking around. He's like, "Yeah, my dad, my dad saw us on the foot on the on TV at the football game, and all of a sudden, at like forty something years old, and I've been doing it my whole life, and he thought I was crazy. Him and the whole family calls me up, so proud of me because they saw me on TV. And he's like, we didn't even we didn't even get paid.' <laughs> What's a song you really enjoy playing live for uh, other people? Man, I've really been enjoying this old folk song uh, called Diamond Joe, Ramblin' Jock Elliott. I learned it from him. I've been doing that one pretty much every night, and I love the story. There is a man you'll hear about Most every place you go His holdings are in Texas And his name is Diamond Joe The story of that cattle hand is telling in that song is so good. He's in his 80s, man. He still plays all the time. What? That's another special kind of rambling man. There is a man you'll hear about most any place you go. And his holdings are in Texas. And his name is Diamond Joe. He carries all his money in a diamond studded jaw. And he never was much bothered by the process of the law. So what's what's next for you guys? What's next for the band and uh, your music? I'm gonna keep spinning that. I'm gonna keep spinning that wheel, baby. I'm gonna keep rolling that dice. I'm gonna keep doing exactly what I was doing on the street. Literally, man, I'm like in the same places. Like I play in the same areas of town. I'll find myself in the strange stretch of the highway. I just got more people doing it with me, you know, but I'm still the same person that is standing behind my guitar playing for money out of the, out of the, out of the guitar case. And so I've been doing that for so long, brother Matt, like that's the only thing I know to do. So there's a whole bunch more of what I've already been doing for these years coming next, but I might continue to surprise some folks. Thanks for interviewing me and, uh, I think I, sorry, I missed your call at first. No, no, all good. All right, brother. I'll see you. Well, I sit here on this stool, drank so 
so much I blew my cool. Go to KOSU.org to find out more about Charlie Crockett and the Valley. There you can also find a list of all the music that was played. And I guess I've got to go. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU in the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was designed by Terry Ferris. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and if you're listening on NPR One, give us a heart or a favorite. No Cover is a member of the KOSU Spy Podcast Network. Learn about all of our podcasts at KOSU.org. Yes, I find my way once more to that old number on the door, and I'll be at home. It's motel time again. You've reached Charlie Crockett, king of the wild blue frontier. Bye. At the tone. Tell you this Each night I fight A battle I can't win A pretty girl she has my hand But I've got to find the band We'll be leaving soon It's motel time